0: Let's go ahead and grab a seat and we will get started this morning. Great to be with you again. My name is Matt. For those of you who I haven't met, um, if you have a Bible, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 27 verse 57, as we continue in our series exploring the evidence that we have for Easter. Uh, As we approach Easter in a uh, post-Christian skeptical culture, we all have moments where we question or doubt Uh, It's sort of the air that we breathe. And uh, whether you are a faithful disciple sort of wrestling with doubts along the way or a full-blown atheist who rejects anything involving the resurrection, it's worth exploring the historical evidence surrounding the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So that's what we're doing in this series. Last week, we examined the death of Jesus from a uh, historical medical perspective. If you missed that teaching, I'd encourage you to go back and listen. Otherwise, this one won't totally make sense. But we essentially examine the medical and historical evidence proving that Jesus died on the cross. Uh, Those who argue against the resurrection will often start by proposing that perhaps Jesus never died at all, that somehow he escaped the cross, that he faked death on the cross, and that's why he was seen by the disciples and others several days later. Uh, The first line of defense is, what if he didn't die? Uh, What if he passed out? And what if we have a resuscitation instead of a resurrection? And so essentially what we did last week uh, was to unpack the medical and historical evidence establishing that Jesus, in fact, died on the cross. Uh, No one could have possibly endured what Jesus endured and survived. Uh, The flogging, the blood loss, the hypovolemic shock, uh, the the crucifixion the pericardial effusion uh, the the uh, massive heart failure asphyxiation a, a spear uh, through the heart and lungs in short uh, jesus was dead three times over before he was taken down from the cross. Uh, And based on the abundance of evidence that we have, I'm not even aware uh, of a serious scholar or skeptic who maintains that Jesus could have survived. Uh, Virtually everyone, atheists, skeptics, medical professionals, everyone who takes a deep dive and studies that evidence uh, ends up signing his death certificate in a sense, saying, we believe no one could have possibly survived this ordeal. It's, uh, it's a done deal, in a sense. Jesus was dead. But the question becomes, what happened next? Was Jesus buried? Uh, how do we know? And was the tomb eventually found empty? Uh, Those are the questions that we'll be exploring this morning, picking up in Matthew 27, verse 57. This is what it says. It says, as evening approached, this is hours after Jesus died, uh, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he was raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now skip for the moment down to the start of the next paragraph. Uh, this is verse 11. It says, While the women were on their way to go tell the disciples, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, welcome you into this place. Uh, We invite you to come and to speak to us, uh, even about the reality uh, of your death and burial, uh, what those things meant in history, what they mean for us right now in this room today. Uh, Would you come, Lord, and speak uh, not just to our minds, uh, which which is so important, but to our hearts as well. Uh, We want to love you with all of our minds, with all of our hearts. Uh, And even as we look at uh, historical evidence, Lord, don't let it stay in our heads. Uh, would, that, would that percolate, would that sink deep into our hearts as well? Would we live differently because of the reality of what happened uh, in this place uh, thousands of years ago? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first question before us this morning is, was Jesus buried? If, in fact, he died on the cross, which we established last week, then what happened next? We know that the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus was alive and the tomb was empty. Uh, but what if he was never buried? Uh, or uh, what if the, the, he was buried but the body was stolen away. Uh, Wouldn't that account for the legends of the empty tomb that began to circulate around Jerusalem? Uh, So first we have to ask, was Jesus buried? And the undoubtable answer is yes. And here's how we know. Uh, First, Matthew tells us uh, that the burial was secured and overseen by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And this is a fascinating detail included in all four of the gospel accounts. And while Matthew, in the account we read this morning, tells us that he is rich and obviously influential, uh, Mark actually makes it clear that he is part of the ruling religious council. And multiple of the gospel writers point out that he was a follower of Jesus, but that he uh, had not made that knowledge public. That he was afraid of others on the ruling Jewish council and afraid of the Jewish people themselves. Uh, The accounts also make it clear that Joseph was not present or involved when the council um, kind of did the trial and condemned Jesus and handed him over to die, uh, but that he had been following him in secret and then he emerges from the shadows in this key moment to oversee the burial of Jesus. And uh, this is huge because it puts the disciples in a really bad light. The disciples are all hiding and looking out for themselves, and now someone from the ruling class, from the ruling religious council in uh, Jerusalem, who are always the bad guys in the gospel accounts, comes out of the shadows at considerable risk to himself and his family in order to make sure that Jesus gets a proper burial. Uh, And what happens in the account that we read is beautiful, uh, but it would have been a source of real embarrassment for the original disciples. Uh, It would not be a historical detail that they were eager to include in their account. If you were going to make up an account, you would never invent a man from the ruling religious council to be the hero of the hour. Uh, that's not how legends are written. They they wouldn't fake it that way, but it is how history unfolds. So this is something that is personally embarrassing to the disciples. They would not have written it if it weren't actually true. Uh, And speaking of writing, uh, the gospel accounts were originally shared orally, as was the tradition in the first century. Uh, But in a very short amount of time, uh, the first disciples start putting things on paper as well. And what this means is that through the oral circulation, through the written circulation, early on in Jerusalem, people inside and outside of the church would have been confronted with these accounts. Um, And they lived in Jerusalem, This is where the accounts were first preached and circulated. Uh, And in fact, uh, they begin preaching right in the center, kind of right under the noses of the religious elite. And so what that means, historically, is that anyone inside or outside of the church could have gone and met Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, They could have confirmed this account as a well-known public figure within the city, And uh, if the religious elite were going to snuff out this movement, which was their sincere desire, uh, then they could have and would have contradicted this detail. They would have come out publicly and said, there is no one named Joseph of Arimathea, or he's here, but he never did that. Come talk to him. And yet, through the Gospels and other historical accounts, we see that the ruling religious elite, though they're working day and night to stop the disciples, never come out with that counterclaim. They are silent on that issue because they themselves and everyone else knows that it's true. So, uh, Joseph of Arimathea approaches Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. Uh, In at least one of the accounts we have, uh, Pilate um, acts surprised at that point and essentially says, like, are you sure he's already dead? He was surprised at the speed at which Jesus died on the cross. And so in that account, he calls the centurion or the Roman guards in and essentially says, are you sure? Like, are you sure uh, that he's dead? It's only been a few hours. Often victims of crucifixion, uh, especially if they weren't flogged Um, before crucifixion, they could last hours or even days on the cross. And so because it's so important that Jesus die, Pilate wants to confirm. Uh, Now, as a side note, uh, the way that things worked for Roman soldiers, if you were overseeing an execution, it was your life or theirs, Meaning if you failed to carry out your job, if the person that you were assigned to execute escaped or somehow survived, your life could be demanded in exchange. So not only were the Romans very good at killing people, but these soldiers were uh, highly motivated in making sure that he was utterly and completely dead. Uh, There was no bribing them. There was no tricking them. If Jesus escaped alive, then they could be put to death. Now, if you're in that position and you're brought before the governor who has authority over your life and he says, hey, would you triple check that Jesus is dead? You're going to go and triple check, right? There is not even a shadow of a doubt uh, that he is dead. Um, And what you're saying essentially is, yes, we agree that he's dead. And if he's not, you can execute me, So all of that is confirmed yet again that Jesus is completely dead. Uh, And then Pilate gives the dead body over. And this is what we read. It says, uh, Joseph took the body, uh, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. And it also says that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting opposite the tomb. So uh, Jesus is buried. There's a stone securing the entrance to the tomb. And the way that this often worked, if it was the tomb of a, of a wealthy person or an important person, is that it wasn't uncommon for a sort of a ramp to be fashioned out of stone and then uh, a large stone to be fashioned on top of that ramp. And so what would happened is you'd put the body and sometimes other valuable things in the tomb, and then you would roll this giant circular stone down the ramp, and it would fall into place. Uh, but once it was in place, it was very, very hard to move again. You would have to move a massive stone actually uphill up the ramp in order to get back into the tomb. Uh, so this was sort of an ancient locking mechanism, as you would, uh, if you would, that was used in many ancient tombs. Uh, whether or not that mechanism was used in this case, we can't be totally sure. But in either case, the tomb is very secure with a stone in front of it, and it's also very public. Uh, Many people watched Jesus die. Uh, Crucifixion, in this case, was meant to be a very public thing. Uh, Many people were also there uh, watching this process and watching him be taken down and watching him be buried. It was all done in public. It was public knowledge. And then we read this. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception would be worse than the first. Next slide. Take a guard. Pilate answered, go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So imagine this in your mind if you can. Everyone sees him die. It's triple confirmed. Then he's taken down. People see where he's buried. And everyone knows where the tomb is at this point. The religious elite know where he's buried. Uh, The disciples know where he's buried. Pilate, the guards, the citizens of Jerusalem. Everyone can see where this is taking place. Then uh, a a stone is moved down in front of the entrance to the tomb, which is very hard to move again. Uh, Then that stone is is then sealed uh, against the tomb behind it making it even more difficult to get into. And then there's, ro- there's guards posted in front of the tomb. So it's, it's essentially a triple secured. And remember, again, that standard for Roman soldiers. If you should fail in this, if they get past you and get the body, then we can demand your life. You can be executed if you fail in this. So there's no bribing the guards that have been posted there. For them, it is life or death. The religious elite have made this tomb, quote, as secure as they know how. They're using all the top security systems of their day. And hence, if you are going to pull off the illusion of an empty tomb, then you have to fight off the Roman guards— who are fighting for their lives, you have to break the seal, you have to roll this enormous stone, potentially uphill, uh, and then you have to steal the body and move it to a new location, which is a tall order for a small handful of grieving disciples. Instead, the male disciples are hiding away and grieving And the female disciples are preparing spices to anoint the body of Jesus. And then they head to the tomb. Um, How were they planning to anoint the body in light of everything that was put in place? We don't know. No one really knows exactly what these women were thinking. It's possible that they didn't know that the tomb had been triple secured. Uh, It's possible that they just couldn't think beyond their own grief. And they were just going anyways to see if they would be granted permission to carry this out. In either case, they went. And what they discover when they arrive upends their world. Uh, the guards have been neutralized. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. There are multiple encounters with angelic beings. The body of Jesus is gone. And in fact, one of these angelic beings tells them, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Come and and check out the empty tomb. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. While the women were on their way to go do that, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. They had to kind of hang their heads and and go to the ruling council and say, Hey, we don't know how to tell you this, uh, but here's what happened when we were on guard. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep, which is hilarious on one level and somewhat impossible. Uh, But they continue, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Remember, if they fail, their lives can be demanded in return. So they say, hey, go circulate this report. We've got your backs. We will not let the governor uh, punish you or execute you. Uh, So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Hey, we fell asleep even though our lives were on the line. And then the disciples came very silently and snuck past us, broke the seal, silently rolled this enormous stone, and silently ran off with the body while we were napping in front of the tomb. It doesn't really work as an alibi, uh, but as a rumor, it, it serves as their attempt to discredit the disciples and their message. But notice... That in paying to circulate this rumor, the religious elite actually affirm that Jesus was buried in that tomb and that that tomb is now empty. If Jesus had never been buried there or if Jesus were still buried there, then that would have been the announcement from the religious religious elite. Uh, That would have been the thing that they put. They would not pay to circulate this rumor they would simply tell everyone, hey, that's not the place where Jesus was buried. Or they would say, he's still buried there. His body is there. The tomb isn't empty. They are essentially saying, by, by paying for this account, they're saying, yes, we know he was buried there. And we know that tomb is now empty. But there must be another explanation. We think you stole the body. So the religious elite actually confirm that Jesus died. They actually confirm that Jesus was buried in this specific tomb, and they confirm for us that this specific tomb was later found empty. Shortly after this, the Jesus movement begins The disciples boldly claim in Jerusalem, the tomb is empty. Jesus is no longer there. He is risen. They begin preaching this immediately. It's recorded and widely circulated in writing shortly after. And anyone in the city of Jerusalem with a short walk could have confirmed the empty tomb. Jesus died. We know that. He was buried in this specific tomb. The religious elite confirm it. The tomb was later found empty. The religious elite also confirm this. The only question that remains is where is Jesus? Where is his body? What could possibly account for the empty tomb? And for that, you have to wait till next Sunday. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge in this place uh, your death, Lord, your death on the cross, with all that that entailed, with all that we studied last week. And we see, Lord, from the pages of history uh, that you had an actual dead body, uh, that you were uh, laid to rest in, in a real tomb cut out of real stone, and that that tomb... Uh, under very unusual circumstances was was later found empty and as we uh, approach easter lord i pray that these uh, events that these realities would uh, settle in our hearts uh, that they would be real to us that they would become defining Realities for our, for our daily living, that we would actually learn to see all of life through the lens of real death, real burial, and real resurrection. Would you come now, Jesus, as we worship you? As we sang this morning, would you open our eyes? It's amazing how quickly our eyes can drift or, or grow numb. Or, or begin to fade. God, would you open our eyes to, to who you are and, and what you've done in this place?